Welcome to the Coach Dave Love Podcast with NBA shooting coach Dave Love and your host, Matt Robertson. Exploring the cutting edge of evidence-based shooting development in basketball today. From shooting form to skill acquisition to shot metrics. This is the Coach Dave Love Podcast. Welcome to the Coach Dave Love Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Robertson, and this is NBA shooting coach Dave Love. What's up, Matty? What's up, man? Great night at the office. How about yourself? I, I can't complain. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. This is day two here, day two of three. Uh, I just finished two sold-out clinics for youth players with Edmonton Youth Basketball uh, and have another sold-out clinic uh, tomorrow. That What I love, I'll just do a little shameless promotion here, Um is uh, a shameful promotion should this maybe be shameful promotion that uh okay um that uh like within these clinics i do a revenue share and uh and so the host group shares in the revenue and because we have a great gym with a, a fair, allows us a fairly large capacity and three days sold out uh of 80 kids the, this host group is going to receive seven thousand dollars in, in revenue from the uh uh, the clinic, which like they're thrilled, uh, and why wouldn't you be? So like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty fired up that I get to to be around these these kids and do this work and help out this program as well. So, so let me give the shameless part of the plug, I guess, since we're here. That uh, if you're out there and listening and want Coach Dave Love to come to your area, uh, that's the arrangement. That's uh, something an opportunity for you, an opportunity for him. It's good uh, opportunity for your kids to kind of improve and get better and learn from somebody who's uh, pretty close to the top of the game. Yeah. And I don't have a ton of time to be able to do this. So, but like I make an annual trip to Australia and then we'll usually do about seven days worth of clinics over, over nine days. And uh, I've, I've done a trip to New Zealand uh, across Canada, as you know, that's how you and I met. Uh, I had one plan for, uh, uh, for Europe um, but unfortunately for the, the European group, I was hired by two, uh, NBA teams or an NBA team and a G league team. Uh, and, and unfortunately I wasn't able to do all three of those things so that the Europe trip got, uh, put on the back burner, but, uh, and, and the $7,000 revenue share is, is not typical, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice little perk where you get a special opportunity for your kids to come and learn and, and it, it ends up being a monetary value add uh, as well. So if it, it is possible that we can do it that way and, uh, and yeah, if uh, don't be afraid to reach out, especially on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now and let me know if you are interested in hosting. If you have a large group, we, I can't do it for, for four kids. Um, but so it needs to be sort of a large organization that has a few hundred kids that play within it. And if there's a few hundred kids, then a hundred will probably want to come to a clinic. I, uh, I, I can kind of vouch and, and taking kind of my friendship hat off for this, but as a basketball person, um, yes, that's how we met, but I also uh, attended like five or six subsequent clinics the next two or three times that you came out my way. And I, I can attest that, for me, when we were doing kids camps, like the method that you teach is broken down in such a way that the coaches that are there can use a lot of that in how they teach their next groups um, and teach the kids to be their own shooting coach. So um, again, taking my friend hat off and the podcast hat off, I, I really do see a lot of value in it. And uh, I know you've got testimonials and for days and days and days, but we won't, you know, I don't want to pump your pump your tires a little too much here. But uh, anyway, so Appreciate it's out there. Um I do want to ask you your clinic in Edmonton real quick. Who, do you have a favorite kid? Not like the best player or not the best shooter, but like there's always one funny kid that just is a little wild. Like give me, give me like 30 seconds on that. Oh, uh, I can't give you with each clinic. Yeah. Like you, you, as a coach, I have to actively go searching for like, who's that person that I'm going to kind of latch onto when you're, when you're scanning the sea of faces like who's the one person that like there you've always got their attention and they're given energy back as much as they're taking. And so I've got to go looking for that person. It's not usually hard to find. Uh, and it's, it's usually, it's usually just a happy kid that wants to learn. 
Uh, I don't really care how talented the kids are at the, the clinic. If they want to learn, I want to help. I feel like that's my job. I don't get to say, oh, I only do shooting clinics for the talented kids. No, I want to help anybody. And uh, and then when they are talented too, and they're a good person and they're funny and they can, they can um, what was the Australian expression or European, they, when they can take the piss uh it's an ex yeah i'm glad you're laughing it's like you're on your own buddy <laughs> when they're able to tease me back i always come i always get that expression wrong because i always yeah i want just a landmine of where i might screw this up so maybe i should have said it in the first place <laughs> whatever it's done but uh all the aussies are laughing at me right now but uh um yeah, it's, it's, it's fun when you can like find that person that just asks smart questions, reasonably talented, wants to learn, has fun learning, um, can take it, some teasing and can give it out too. Those are those kids are awesome. And there's always a couple of them at a clinic. Because I'm not the feature person at the clinic, I get to I get to find the person I'm going to react with. And like all the way through my college career and, and even a little later on you'll always have that teammate who is the most infectious, whether it's the laugh or the smirk or the eyes where it's just like, man, something happens and I either need to look at them and find them to react with them, or I know it's an inappropriate time to laugh. And so avoid them at all. Times. <laughs> so who, who are those people now? Who, who have been the, um, so when I, my fourth year college, we had this point guard named Mackenzie Washburn who, was a freshman, but he was a little older. I think he was a couple of years into his uh, into his university life, but like super talented guy, but just like crazy funny and like infectious laugh. And coach, I had I played for this awesome coach in New Brunswick who he has since retired and he's kind of getting up there in age, but awesome dude. His name's Dwight Dickinson. Taught me how to shoot, and I was not a shooter when I got to him. And when I left him, I could shoot the basketball. Um, but Dwight was an idiosyncratic coach and he was willing to explore all, all avenues to make us better. And one time he was like, he's like, oh, you know, I, I've been taking a course online and think I might uh, have found something to kind of help unlock your subconscious. And we're like, uh, okay, coach, like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, uh, self-hypnosis. And in that moment, like I, I dove behind our power forward emotionally to not connect eyes with Mackenzie because it's just like not a good time. <laughs> anyway like always a few people at every stop my first year probably i played with a guy named terrence woodyard and if you're listening terrence and atl somewhere that guy is an absolute beauty total pro like 611 shooter do it all um and that point in his career and my career we sat at the end of the bench together and just like it was the greatest time because we're locked in we're into the game but just being able to react with somebody when stuff would happen was it's the best yeah, yeah, that, right. that's really kind of why I think we end up playing sports or staying involved with sports is, is it's the mechanism that delivers those moments for us. And at least we're like, um, I think I come, I, I know I come across as very dry in a lot of situations, but I think my friends know that I have a, uh, a fairly decent sense of humor too, or or attempt to and, and enjoy having, uh, finding humor in things and uh and yeah, those are like Tristan Thompson and I would spend the entire workouts just like laughing at, as we're trying to do work and then saying like, okay, no, we got to sell it. We got to get back to our purpose and then we'll working with purpose, but laughing our asses off at, at something that, uh, that the other has said or something that they've done and teasing each other. It just makes it life so enjoyable. Can you tell really quickly, there's a story about a particular plane you're working out with in, in an Orlando and at the end of your workouts, you would have a specific contest and you celebrated that specific contest in a specific way. Can you just tell that story real quick? I love that. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Uh, one of my favorite moments. Um, oh God, this would have been my, the off season of my second year working for the Orlando Magic. And so this was the off season that I was spending a lot of time with Alfred Payton, who is now one of my best friends, if not my best friend of players that I've worked with. Like we still talk regularly and uh love that guy uh but our relationship didn't start didn't start poorly but it didn't start well like Alfred's pretty guarded um and and we we had awkward timing where we just 
there was an expectation that I would be working with him, but then he had some other commitments and we just didn't get enough time. And I, I think he felt like I'm being pressured to do this. And, uh, um, and I don't feel like I have enough time to do this before we start playing games. And our GM, Rob Hennigan was smart enough to say like, I think he's right. Let's back off. Cause he may be our starting point guard this year. Let's let him kind of get, uh, get a little time. Um, before and then we'll focus on him next offseason when we have more time. So we're in that offseason where we have more time now and we're starting to figure out who is this other person? Like, forget coach player. Do I like this guy? And uh, and so at the end of a workout, I said, and this will be a frequent thing that I'll do in the offseason, we'll have a little half court contest because it's about the only contest where the playing field is even enough that I can actually have a chance to win this as well. And, and my rule is that it's the first player to make two half court shots. And because I don't like losing to a guy who gets lucky on their first shot. And it's, I know they're terrible from half court and I'm okay. And they, but they got lucky and they don't want, that drives me nuts. So you got to be able to make two, but we put in a rule that said, if you make, if you call it in the air, if you shoot it and the ball's in the air and you say something to the effect of, I got it, I made it, that's in, something like if you call it and you make it, it's worth two. But then we had to make a secondary rule to, to counter that, to say, if you call it in the air and you miss, you're out. So you just automatically lose. And I don't remember how the contest went, but I, I made a shot to win it. I don't know if I called it in the air or not. Elfer might be able to tell us. And I turned around now, my momentum has carried me kind of to the three point line. And I turned to him and I did sort of the Sam Cassell, um, I'll just say a big ball sort of like, look at me. And that was the first time that I think Elfer realized that, you know, I've got a sense of humor. And so he burst out laughing and started to run towards me and sort of gave me the motion, like, we're going to jump up and bump shoulders. And it was, I think he sort of had that moment, like this old guy that's probably 42 at the uh, time, maybe 40 at the time is like, Oh, this old, old guy's all right. Like, yeah, he can hang. And, uh, and so there's one of my great memory work for me, it was like affirmation that, okay, I can relate to somebody this age, this athleticism and this job and who a different background than I've grown up, but we can still be, we can still be friends. It's one of my best memories that I've had. I freaking love that story. And it's like kind of a testament for other coaches listening. And I know we're just kind of talking, chopping it up right now, but like um, finding things with your players, whether it's like a moment like that or something they're super into. Like one of my guys I'm coaching right now is super into sneakers. Like, uh, you know, all all hoopers love shoes, whatever. This guy has 11 pairs of basketball shoes that he alternates strategically and wears game shoes, whatever. And so what we do at the end of practice almost every day is we put time up on the clock and guys shoot free throws and everybody shoots two. Yeah. And if you miss the first one, we run a down and back. And if we run, miss the second one, you run a half and back right. and we got to hit a certain number. Uh, and so when they start to get close to the number, we start to mess with them a little bit. And this guy stepped up the line and I was like, Hey, OE, I think those shoes are trash today. And just like, he's, he's a quiet kid and for whatever. Uh, and I just could tell like, Oh man, he's, he's like a touch rattled right now. And anyway, you got to find the thing that you can relate to them with to have those little moments. It's not the game within the game, but it's just such a fun little undercurrent to the game itself. I, I for relationship building and for, team building and chemistry and being able to gain the trust of your guys, like all that stuff kind of goes a long way. Yeah, I, I think um, huge. I asked, oh, sorry, you, you weren't done. Go ahead. Fire it up. Yeah. That, I think it's, it's critical to we're two human beings and we've got to find, I've, I've got to find a reason to love you in order to want to help you. Um, like I've got to enjoy you. And so I've got to go actively looking for reasons to relate to you as a person. And I, I feel like it's my duty, my responsibility as a coach. I hope the player reciprocates, but ultimately just like it's the parent's responsibility with the child to show the unconditional love. And you hope that it's reciprocal, but as a parent, I'm just like, 
I'll handle this for the rest of your life. I will always show you I love you. Um, with the player, I feel like it's my responsibility, no matter what they do, to 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 find a reason to care about you and to, to teach you about who I am. So I just ask a ton of goofy questions until I find that thing that, oh, yeah, we both like that, or we're both interested in this, or both view life this this way. And like Jonathan Isaac with the Orlando Magic in my last summer there, I'm not a religious person. He is. We had a wonderful 45-minute conversation about his religion. Um, and, um, and and to the point where I think we shot about 20 shots in that 45 minutes. Like we got we got a third of the way through the first drill of our warm-up 45 minutes in. And I, I finally said to him, like, hey Jay, I, I hope you don't feel like this is a waste of time. Um because to me, this is the most valuable thing we could be doing on this day is getting to know each other in this this kind of way. I don't, the, the shooting part, we got time for that again tomorrow, getting to know each other. And he says, oh, my God, I was just thinking the same thing. And and so, yeah, you, you, you've got to put in an effort to get to know the person in addition to the um, the the player or the coach. So. I have uh, a real quick. Uh, really quick story also uh, like my first year playing pro I'm like eastern Canadian kid like no diversity in my city in my neighborhood at the time and I'm in a, on a team with all these American dudes I'm trying to find my trying, trying to find my way and we we got this rookie center who uh, he went to camp with the magic in 20 I want to say 2012 or 2013 and it was big baby was there. He got, he got cut from that team and ended up because it was so late in the cycle, he had to come to the national basketball league Canada anyway. So like, again, you're always trying to find the touch points with guys. And especially again, I'm like 22 years old or whatever. Uh, and one day we're sitting on the bus and I was just like, Oh, his name's Isaac Butts. He's from Georgia. Unbelievable center. He's still playing in Japan. I was like, oh, buddy, like, what are you, what are you bumping in the headphones today? We're on the bus, and he's like, kind of locked in. And normally, it's just always whatever. And I, I'm not a huge hip hop guy, but I can hang. Uh, and he looks over at me, he goes, "Man, I got that new Mayor album." And I was like, "Oh, me too." <laughs> like John Mayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, connected over the, I think it was Born and Raised, the John Mayer album at the time. But it was so funny because that was the least, that was the last thing I expected him to say, yeah. and it just any. Anyway, he uh, married a girl from my town. He's here every summer as my guy. But anyway, you're yeah. right. You, you'll never, you never know what the the thing is until you find it. But it's always a delight. It never ceases, right? So yeah. anyway, it, uh, I, uh, I I bonded over uh, House of Cards with the player, like the, the Kevin Spacey Netflix series House of Cards was was like with Alfred Payton, like the next thing that took our, our friendship to the, the next level where he started watching the show as I just finished it. And so every car ride to the gym was what episode did you watch last night? And uh, with other guys, been Chipotle. Uh, it's been uh, like um, me admitting that I love uh, uh, trashy uh, pop music. I can like, I can get behind, uh, better not phrase it that way. Um, I, I can enjoy a, a, a terrible Britney Spears song or the, the, like all, I've got a Taylor Swift, uh, playlist. I better, I have daughters. Like I, I better be a Swifty to, to, to a certain degree. So yeah, but th th this wasn't the topic of the podcast. We should probably move on to that, uh, the topic of the podcast, but I think these are little things that a lot of people can relate to or, or should be getting affirmations on too. I think you're right. And as we were going, I was trying to find a segue and I kind of gave up halfway through and I was like, let's just go to a commercial break and we'll segue into the topic right after this. Hey there, basketball fans. I'm NBA shooting coach Dave Love and I've got exciting news just for you. Introducing my exclusive free basketball shooting newsletter. It's packed with insights and techniques straight from the hardwood. Have you ever wondered how NBA players improve their shots? or how you could get to the next level, whether you're a college player, a coach, or a budding youth player, my newsletter brings all this and more directly to your inbox. Each edition is a deep dive into the world of basketball shooting. I'll share some of the tips and ideas that I use with my NBA clients tailored for every level of the game. But wait, there's more. Subscribers receive exclusive monthly discounts on my online products. 
From training videos to personalized coaching sessions, you'll get it all for a fraction of the price. And the best part of all, it's absolutely free to join. So what are you waiting for? Elevate your game and join a community of passionate players and coaches from around the globe. Signing up is easy. Just visit CoachDaveLove.com. Welcome back. Um, so after that derailment, the tangent of tangents, which is how m- most of our actual conversations go, which is one of my favorite things. Thank you. Uh, let's, get, let's get to the reason why we're here. Uh, the purpose of today's podcast. We always try to have a, a purpose, a thing that we really want to focus on. And today, Dave, I want to talk about your non-negotiables in shooting. And you mentioned it in a previous podcast, but we're really going to dive in today. So Dave, give me like, we'll, we'll dive into all the topics, but like, give me the elevator pitch, the condensed moment of like your non-negotiables. Well, I I, I think the, the first thing, everybody, like this is probably a version of the most common question that I get from other coaches. Like, if I could only teach one thing, or if I could only teach three things, or if I could only teach five things, what would be the one thing, like everybody wants to get the Pareto principle, which I love, by the way, and uh, and I think it's a good question. Oh, you don't know the Pareto principle. You might know it's the uh, 80-20 rule. I do know the 80-20 rule, yes. Okay. So that you get 80% of your results from 20% of your actions. So like, tell me, that these people are basically asking, tell me the the one thing that's going to help me get, or the three things that are going to help me get the biggest results. And so I sat down to say like, okay, what, what's going to be my answer for this? Like, what, what can I say that is actually meaningful? Because I found that depending on what player I was working with at the time, my answer would keep changing. And well, I don't want you to catch what I think is the most important thing on Tuesday. I, if you're going to ask me the question, then let's try and have the, the most important thing for me, Dave, in general. And, uh, and so I thought, all right, three is a nice number. What, what are going to be the three things that I think every shooter should would benefit from getting better at or should be doing when they shoot the basketball? And those became my non-negotiables. So give me your three. So now I've been really careful about how I phrase these because as we as we keep talking about through a different podcast, there's no one way to shoot the ball. Everybody's a little bit different, but there are guiding principles. And uh, and so I I even very carefully word these so that they're they have a chance to be non-negotiable. And uh, and then everything outside these three are negotiable. So number one, and we do you want all three at once. Or do you want to like go one and then we can break it down? Give me the elevator pitch. Give me your three and then we'll go one by one. Okay. Number one, I want you to be as balanced as possible. Number two, I want you to shoot the middle of the ball with the middle of your hand or starting to change the, the phrasing of that, like apply e- equals force to both sides of the ball towards the target. And then I need the ball to get up in the air, dropping down on the rim. Like if you can't get the ball dropping down on the rim, it can't go through. If you can't push both sides of the ball evenly, the ball's not going to go straight. Uh, and then if, you, if you're always off balance, you're going to be less consistent than if you were more on balance with the understanding that you're not always going to be on perfect balance. One of the things that you said there that I really love and beyond the non-negotiables, because I think those are excellent and that's things that everybody can kind of relate to. But what you said in the middle there that kind of hooked me was you said, oh, and I'm kind of changing the way that I phrase this, which I love because you are somebody I consider the expert in this thing. And the fact that your philosophy is still evolving or the way that you express this is still evolving means that you're still learning, which I love. I, well, thank you. And then, yeah, that's something I, I constantly search for is like, how do I, I think I'm good at my job. Uh, how do I get better at my job? Nobody's, nobody's perfect. There is no perfect, but how can we improve? And then as you, as you improve, you learn new things and you then need to take a step back and go, now these things I've said in the past, are they still true based on the new information that I have? 
and uh, and now doing the shot metric stuff, the evaluation and quantifying of how people shoot the basketball. Uh, I still believe that we need to shoot the middle of the ball with the middle of our hand, but how we define the middle of the hand and uh, can change from player to player. So I don't tell you what the middle of your hand is. And then I have to acknowledge that you know it is possible to push the ball straight with two hands. So I just know, and most coaches know, and most players are figuring out that, hey, two variables are harder to coordinate than one. Um, and so uh, we want to, I can get the ball to go straight by pushing with two hands, just like setting a volleyball. Uh, it's just harder to do. And so that's the like why the wording on those non-negotiables is as balanced as possible uh, is worded that way intentionally because I'm not my non-negotiable isn't that you have to be perfectly balanced. That's unrealistic. My non-negotiable is you need to be working on the skill to make it as balanced as you can in the environment. That's it. Quick interjection. I, I want to keep teasing this out because you mentioned shot metrics. It's what I refer to as your, your little data project, your fun little data project. And I do promise that at some point in time, we're going to do a full unpack or at least a partial unpack of what that looks like on the pod for the people. But I do just want to tease that a little bit. Cause that's kind yeah, of fun. And so we'll tease it. Can I tease a little further and just say like, when you, when you go to Dick's sporting goods or, or um, golf town and you hit a, a golf ball into the uh, into the screen and you look over at the computer and it shows you all those different data points, your club head speed, the ball speed, the launch angle, the club face angle. Uh, those are the golf version of shot metrics. Shot metrics is the quantification of how you shoot the basketball. And uh, I don't think very many people are, People are at the NBA level are just starting to look at this, but they don't know what to do. And we've been working hard for a couple of years to figure out what to measure. So that's kind of the, the extended elevator or tease, as you say. I love it. That fires me up so much. Anyway, I'm, I'm very excited for that one because I know that you are passionate about it. and I'm becoming passionate about it. So I really love that. Um, okay. Let's dive into be as balanced as possible. Dave, what does that mean for you? And can you give some some sort of examples of how you find each individual player's version of this? Yeah. So the the idea behind balance, like just being in control of your body, so that we can stop negative energy and create positive energy. So negative energy uh, is energy that your body creates that is flowing away from the hoop. That if given to the basketball, that energy is going to uh, cause a miss as opposed to a make. And any direction except for at the target or straight up in the air is negative energy. Positive energy is at the target or straight up in the air. If you could, with every part of your body, create positive energy at the target, straight up in the air, you're going to give that to the basketball, causing the ball to go at the target and straight up in the air. The ball is always going to go online. Is it ever going to be possible to do that perfectly? Probably not. But that's that's the ultimate theory in shooting is more positive energy, get rid of negative energy. In a game when you're moving, you're always creating negative energy. You're moving all kinds of different directions in all kinds of different ways. And it's never at the target. It's all, almost 99.9% .9 of the time, it's away from the target. So we've got to be able to stop as much of that energy as we possibly can so that as we, as we start the shooting motion, we're not drifting to the left and having to compensate back to the right. We're trying to point our body at the target, jump straight up in the air with positive power. Um, so your ability to do that comes from a few different parts of your body. And I think the two biggest are the width of your feet and the posture of your, of your body, uh, like the athletic stance. Um, both of those things come back, come down to giving yourself a, a large window to fit your center of gravity into. Okay. The only, the only way to lose your balance, let's go to the extreme of saying we're going to fall over is the only way to lose your balance is to get your center of gravity outside the widest part of your base. 
So let's imagine we've got a player and they're standing with their feet together. They're, the width of their base is only the width of two shoes. And so if they're standing straight up, their center of gravity will be falling in between those two shoes, which means let's say they've got they've got four inches of uh, of a wiggle room on either side. If their center of gravity, they lean enough to get their center of gravity over four inches to the right so that their center of gravity is outside the widest part of their foot, they begin to fall over. Same thing, obviously, to the left. If you widen your feet so that now your feet are uh, a foot and a half from center each. Now you've got a bigger window that you will get to before you lose control of your body and therefore a bigger window to be in control of your body. Uh, and that works with the feet, but then uh, we can do the same thing by, by pushing our knees forward and pushing our hips back and our center of gravity is resting somewhere between our knees and our shoulders in the front and our hips in the back. And as long as we can kind of keep it there, we're, we're balanced and we're stable. One of my favorite things is how you demonstrate that in your camps. And I don't know if you do it in your workouts, but you get the kid to put their feet together and you give them a little one finger tug or one finger shove and they start to topple. Yeah. And then you tell the same kid, all right, get your feet nice and wide. And you can't, you know, you got to physically shove them off the block to, to lose their balance. And I think that's such a valuable, easy to show uh, version of what you're talking about. I just yeah. think it's so effective. Thank you very much. My favorite is... And so just to expand on what you're saying, what I'll say to kids, like get one kid and just stand them on a line and put his feet right together. And I'll say, if your feet are this close together, your feet are touching and I'll just give them a little tap with their finger to move them sideways. Then all it takes is this amount of energy and the person starts to fall over unless they move their feet. And then my favorite one is when like I go to do it again and they know it's going to happen. And so they lean into my only I see that they're going to do it before they do it. And so I just let them go and they lose their balance towards me without me even touching them. And, and I'm like, see, I didn't even have to touch you. But you had such a small window. You were anticipating a touch from my finger that didn't come. And you still couldn't control your energy. And then on the flip side, like, Okay, get your feet wider apart, and then I'll I'll push them uh, a few um, varying degrees of of firmness, and then eventually, if they're if they're a stronger kid, like I'll back up a few steps, run at them, sort of jump in my full body weight in them, and they they they're stable enough to be able to handle. So that's what we're working towards is that kind of a body position, so that you can withstand um withstand the the amount of energy that your your body is creating uh by moving on the floor i really like how you word this too uh can can you talk a little bit about self-organization yeah self-organization is basically this this idea that i'd i'd rather you as the player kind of figure this out for yourself uh, versus me have to explain exactly how I think you should do it. So I could tell you when you're off balance, I want you to land with your feet hip width apart. And I want you to, to, to land uh, in an athletic body posture. And both those things would be internal cues, as we talked about in a previous episode, and might not transfer very well. Or I can put you in a position where you are off balance and just show you how your body figures out how to balance itself. That's the self-organization. So that little demonstration that we talk about is kind of a, a version of, of self-organization or as simple as I'll have the, the kids or the players start with their feet together. And I'll say, I'm going to push you on your left shoulder. You're only allowed to step with your right foot to get your balance. Once you step with your right foot, leave that foot where it is and then look down at your feet. And so I'll walk up, push them on their left shoulder. They'll step with their right foot to get their balance and they'll almost always go feet hip width apart. I'll just say like, you were, I created a problem. You, your body self-organized to figure out how to solve that problem. We just now need to practice in a way that will take advantage of that self-organization. And too many kids, they practice with their feet really, really narrow, or players in general, 
I need to stop talking about just kids. Professional players do this as well, where they practice with their feet close together because the environment that they're practicing in is too easy. They're stationary spot shooting over and over and over again, and they don't have to self-organize anything. We should be creating problems for them and teaching them how to solve them. So for these more athletic, larger, more skilled players, like how do you force them to learn to self-organize? It can't be as simple as just like putting their feet together and pushing them. Like, what does that look like? It, it can start with that, but then I do a ton of pushing drills where I'd like, uh, I'll start with players in, in various body postures and I'll physically push them. Um, it, it, like it's starting a lot of times chest facing the rims, like start facing the target. And I'll, I'll put a hand on the hairpin, hand on the shoulders and, uh, and count down three, two, one. And I'm pushing them sideways. They're jumping sideways, but they have to stop their own energy that they create by jumping plus my energy coming from the, uh, the push. And it's more energy than they're used to. So it's more important for them to land uh, in the, that body posture. And I don't have to teach them to do it their body just kind of reacts for the most part. And, and really, I, I kind of hope that they make the mistake the first time. The first time we do this drill, I hope they land with their feet kind of narrow and like lose their balance a little bit. And then I go, okay, did you feel that? Were you, were you on balance? No, no, I wasn't on balance. Good. Did you feel where your feet landed? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I saw they, uh, they were narrow. Um, and, uh, um, and so try and get them wider apart, or hopefully they would, they could feel that they were, uh, narrow and realize that wider feet will, uh, will help. It's freaking brilliant because it really forced you're, what you're saying. Exactly what you're saying is it forces them to figure it out on their own, but you've given them everything they need. I, I think it's freaking brilliant. And it's less that you have to rely on those internal cues that really, as you said, from the research, don't really work. Even though everything in the, the old man in me, the like regular guy coaching me wants to be like elbow in, hip whip at the path, whatever, that doesn't work. But showing them a physical example freaking works. I, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Or, um, or it works better. Like internal cues can work too, but they just, they don't transfer as well. So. Hey basketball fans, Coach Dave Love here with an exclusive offer just for you. My personalized video shot analysis. Imagine having an NBA shooting coach analyze your shooting form, just like I do for the pros. That's exactly what you'll get with my video shot analysis. Here's how it works. You send me a video of your shot and I'll break it down frame by frame. I'll pinpoint your strengths and identify the areas of improvement and give you tailored advice to take your shot to the next level. You'll receive a comprehensive analysis designed just for you. Whether you're a beginner or an aspiring pro, my feedback will help you shoot with confidence and precision. It isn't just feedback, it's a game changer. With my video shot analysis, you're not just practicing, you're evolving, and every single shot counts. Ready to transform your game? Visit CoachDaveLove.com slash store to learn more and get started. That's CoachDaveLove.com slash store and look for video shot analysis. Talk to me a little bit about middle of the hand, middle of the ball. That's that's the one for me anyway that, that I'm most interested in because I think it... I think there's a lot of a lot to unpack there. Well, yeah, it's it's the primary transfer of energy from your body to the basketball is how your hand is touching the ball. And so it, it, I'm glad it's the 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 thing that you're most interested in because it's probably the most important thing. Um, and if you can get this right, it solves a lot of other problems uh, that could be created by a human being doing something hard, like shooting a basketball. Uh, and if you get it wrong, it's something that you're always going to be fighting. And uh, and so we basically want to support both sides of the ball evenly at the beginning of the shooting motion. And so I, the beginning of the shooting motion to me is the set point. The beginning of the shooting motion is not triple threat. Your hand is not in a position to shoot the ball yet. We have to go through a lifting motion in order to get our hand underneath the middle of the ball in order to push it the direction that we want to go we want it to go um 
when we get to the set point, the position around our forehead, that's when we're finally in position to actually begin the shooting motion. And that's where it becomes really important to get the middle of the hand underneath the middle of the ball. If you can support both sides of the ball evenly and then lift straight up in the air, you're pushing both sides of the ball evenly towards the target. That's what causes the ball to go straight. The only other option is varying degrees of push one side of the ball more than the other, which will cause the ball to go in the opposite direction and then snap back to compensate in some way to correct the first mistake with another mistake. And that's the reality of what we're, we're probably realistically doing is it a very small version of that to a very large version of that. It's probably impossible to do this perfectly where you're perfectly supporting both sides of the ball pushing it exactly at the target, but that's ultimately the goal that like, that's the bullseye that we're trying to hit is if we're to do it perfectly, you're pushing the middle of the ball evenly, both sides of the ball evenly towards the target. You, you've also referred to this with me in the past as the funneling of the basketball, which for me is a really good image and a really good, uh, and a good external cue, I guess, uh, more than anything. Yeah. So the funneling of the ball is basically the, the, uh, the analogy that I'll give is you're you're kind of creating a water slide for the uh, for the basketball. And why do why are, do water slides? Why are they so much fun? Because they feel like they're dangerous, but they're a self-correcting mechanism that keeps you very safe. And so the water slide allows the 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 person going down the water slide. You get around a corner up on one side. That feels exciting. But then gravity self-corrects and pulls you back to the middle. And then you go around the other corner, you get up on the other side, and then gravity pulls you back to the middle. And it's, the higher you get up, the more gravity is pulling you back towards the middle. And, and our hand supporting both sides of the ball, your thumb will be over as a right-handed shooter over on the left side of the ball and pushing to the right. And your fingers are over on the right side of the ball pushing to the left and each one is pushing towards the middle of your hand at that release. And so that wrist snap is really a funneling of everything towards the middle, hopefully a self-correcting mechanism. Uh, if you end up with your hand starting the whole hand over on the right side of the ball, then you, you've, you've lost that, um, that self-correction uh, opportunity. The other analogy that they'll give in case that one doesn't make sense to people is, you know those wiffle ball scoops that we all had in elementary the ones that we had were like yellow and they came with a wiffle ball and it was just this almost like a giant ice cream scoop um on steroids and you put the wiffle ball in and if you if you hold that wiffle ball scoop straight up and down and flick to propel the ball the ball might rise or fall but it's not going to curve left or right the way to make it curve left or right is to tilt the scoop which means that scoop is now finishing on one side of the ball, which is going to cause the drag to cause it to curve in the air. That's basically what our hand should be doing when we, we shoot the ball. Get the, the, the wiffle ball scoop vertical so that we're releasing off the middle of the basketball to get the ball to spin purely uh, and then there's not going to be the curvature. Our basketball doesn't curve in the air, but the movement that would cause a curve if it was spinning that much is also the move that pushes it offline. It it makes so much sense to me when you give that. I have I've not heard you give that analogy before, and it makes sense to me on a on a hand position and and uh, in a wrist on a basic on a three hinge position. That, yeah. that makes so much sense. To me. Well, and it, um, it's amazing. Like, just let me interrupt for one second. It's amazing. Like, I've given this analogy to guys who have grown up in Africa. They know exactly what I'm talking about when I show them the picture of the wiffle ball scoop. And guys that grew up in 2001, and I grew up in 1974, like in the 70s, and we all know these stupid scoops. And uh, I don't even know what, they, but if you Google wiffle ball scoop, like it comes up and everybody knows them. And so I, I love that. And uh, yeah, the, the, I, I just think it's a pretty good analogy for what our hand is trying to do when we shoot the ball. 
I love it. Um, before we leave this topic, and please stop me if this is too broad of a, or if this is a question that requires too big of an answer that could be another podcast, stop me and I'll yeah. write it in my podcast. What is your preferred finger to be the last one touching the ball? When you talk about the middle of my hand, I have a picture of the middle of my hand of what the last piece I think should be. What do you think it should be? Because that's probably more important. After after doing more research with shot metrics, I'm actually getting less picky about this. So Whoa. in a vacuum, I would have I want the middle of the hand underneath the middle of the ball, which for most people, the middle of the grip is their index finger. When you get your index finger on underneath the middle of the basketball, the distance from the tip of your index finger to the tip of your thumb for most people is the same as the tip of the index finger to the tip of the pinky, which means you're supporting both sides of the ball evenly. Okay. So in theory, if I have the index finger underneath the center of the basketball and I lift straight up, I would like for the ball to come off the index finger uh, on release. What we're actually finding is that's not which finger the ball comes off last is not the most important part that, that the, the, um, the uh, the way that the whole push was occurring together is uh is the important part and and not which finger the ball comes off of last and then i also believe that like that's such a violent motion and we've all shot enough shots where you know it doesn't come off your hand great but you also know it's going in and I think our hands and our brains working together are amazing at correcting little tiny flaws with just little tiny adjustments as we're going through this very quick motion. And you're never going to be able to teach those. We just need that ability to make those, those little adjustments. And, and so the perfect world would be coming off the index finger. But I think that the true skill of shooting a basketball is getting the bullseye in the middle of the dartboard so that you have an, enough wiggle room on all sides to make those adjustments versus like being able to hit the bullseye and do it perfectly every single time. The real skill we should be practicing is the variability. So first and foremost, to everybody who's listening, the dozens of people listening who just looked at their hands to try to see if the, if the index finger is the middle of their hand, I have five also there. Uh, secondly, when it comes to fingertips and shooting, like... I think about my college coach and he said, I was like, coach, I, I can't tell what it's coming off some of the time. And he was like, well, just think about it. He said, think about, i sorry, I do his voice every time I talk about him, but um, he said, you don't think about your feet at all when you're playing, unless you've got a blister or some injury or something, you don't think about them. But if you think about your feet in your shoes, you can feel like there's a very specific feeling that comes from just focusing on that body part. And always found when I was focusing on my fingertips, I could feel so well exactly what the last thing to touch the ball was. But I really had to focus. That was my shot thought was what's the fingertip? You know? Anyway, so I, that's really interesting to me. I want to talk more about that at another time. I I know we're, we're kind of cruising along here. Let's go to the lifting of the ball section of your of your non-negotiables. Yeah. So as I said in the elevator pitch, the ball's got to get above the rim because we we know gravity is going to do its job. And so I've got to get the ball high enough that it has a chance to hopefully drop down. And then we're starting to learn we want to drop it down. The ideal angle would be a, a 45 degree uh, entry angle, which depending on the distance that you're shooting from and the height that you're releasing from, the launch angle will be different. But we need the ball no matter what. It has to be dropping down because gravity will be pulling it down. And so we've got to be in physical positions to be able to lift the ball up in the air. And so many people that struggle with arc uh, because they have flat shots uh, are, are in physical positions to make it difficult to lift. It's not that they're not trying, it's they're out of position to be able to lift. And there's a variety of different ways that you can be out of position to create uh, flat shots, but there's, there's also uh, a variety of different ways that you could create arc and now with with shot metrics again we're starting to see that there there's one kind of ideal way to lift arc 
based on what we're seeing as truly important in the shooting motion, which is getting the ball to travel in a straight line from the set point. Uh, I, I coached a guy from Colorado named William McCullough, a really good guy, great athlete. He, credit to him because one summer, I, I told him just before he left, he said, uh, I really struggle with the ball being so far down. Or I, I told him he, he really struggled with the ball being so far down in his palm and struggled to create lift. So it's not just like, it's not the three hinge motion. It was a specific way the ball was sitting in his hand. Yeah. And to his credit, like I didn't have any answers for him how to fix that, but he went home and came back the next season and it was sitting right up nice in his fingertips and was able to create that kind of optimal lift and optimal angle. Yeah. Um, and he shot 40% from three that season. Like he's anyway, yeah. interesting. I, I think that there's a perception. I talk to a lot of coaches who will say like, uh, you know, such and such player has as flat arc. And I'll say, well, what do you think the problem is? And they, geez, I'm not sure. I guess they're not pushing enough with their legs. For some reason, we're all conditioned to think that like flat shots mean lazy legs. And it is possible. I find it's, it, it's possible that it's that, but it's rarely actually that. I always go back to where are we applying force to the ball? We're applying force to the ball with our hand. Most of these flaws come back to the beginning of the shooting motion um, with the hand on the ball. And the, the the three most common things that I see with players for the uh, ways that they have flat shot, their hand doesn't get underneath the ball. Their hand is on the back of the basketball, which will propel the ball forward. If you're flat shot, that's what's happening. So they flatten out their wrist. The wrist is on the same line as their arm rather than having their wrist bent back. And hand ups, ends up more on the back of the basketball. Um, the other thing that can cause is they get to a good set point with the wrist bent back, but they just don't lift out of that position. They propel the ball forward and their elbow never really lifts. It's the elbow lifting up as the players snapping their wrist that, that causes the lift in the, uh, the shot. And then the third thing will be a person that brings their set point back over top of their head so that their elbow is already lifted, but they haven't truly begun the shooting motion yet. And so now they've got this pivot point that we talked about on an earlier podcast, uh, a pivot point around their elbow, which causes their hand to uh, to be moving forward. It actually causes a curving ball path uh, out of the set point, which is the one thing we want to stay away from. And it makes uh, arc control and distance control very difficult to have that position. On the flip side of things, possible to have too much arc? possible and i think probably one of the hardest things to teach like i i struggle myself uh with those people that have too much arc who are very rare there aren't very very many of those people but there are some and how do you teach somebody to do something less well like <laughs> i do want arc on the ball you just have too much don't do that as well as you're currently doing. That's I find that to be a really hard thing to to teach someone is to to make that adjustment. I'd rather fix a problem than than learn how to do something um, not as optimally. Uh, and the reason why is badly. People will say, "Well, it gives you more of a target." And I would have been one of these people. I think I learned this lesson about ten years ago, um, where the reason too high is a problem is now the 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 subtle one degree or one mile per hour differences in force applied to the ball or arc of the ball end up being a far greater distance so if you're intending to release the ball at 48 degrees launch angle and you actually hit 47 that's going to go quite a bit further than if you intended to hit 45, but you hit 44. 45 to 44 might only be an inch or two. 48 to 47 or 52 to 51 might be several inches. Um, and, the, the, and so those differences end up in, in controlling the distance end up being far greater at a higher launch angle. That's why bad is a problem too. Sorry to interrupt you. Shout out to those guys who have ever laid hardwood floor or laminate floor and were off by the half a degree, which is fine for the first 11 pieces. And when you get to the 20th piece, oh no, we're seven inches away and this is a disaster. So uh, shout out to them. But that that makes so much sense to me. It's so much harder 
to 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 control distance when I'm when I'm launching the ball at that kind of velocity. Also, I, it's really interesting. I like that. Well, um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to go off on another tangent. We can save that for another. It'll come up eventually. Ah, I'm disappointed. I do want to go. I have some questions for you. Uh, I do want to go to another quick break uh, just before we get into those. Hey there, basketball fans. Coach Dave Love here with an exciting opportunity to revolutionize your shooting game. Introducing my exclusive shot development systems, pure release, consistency and balance, and fluidity and arc. Each system is designed to target key aspects of your shooting technique, transforming you into a more effective player on the court. Pure Release focuses on perfecting your shot release. Consistency and balance enhances your stability and accuracy, and fluidity and arc works on your ball path and trajectory of your shot. Find out the drills and progressions that I use with my NBA players to improve these important habits. Can't decide which one to choose? No worries, grab the bundle and get all three systems at a fantastic value. It's a complete package to elevate every part of your shooting game. And there's a special deal for all my podcast listeners. Use the promo code PODCAST20 at checkout to save 20% on any of the shot development systems. Don't miss this chance to train like the pros. Visit CoachDaveLove.com slash store and take your first step towards shooting success. That's CoachDaveLove.com slash store. All right, welcome back. So I want to get into a couple of questions that I've prepared and brought for you today. I know you have your three non-negotiables, but things that I'm like, I think these are also important and I want to run them by you. So um, getting the guide hand off the basketball. Yeah, um, absolutely important to me, uh, but negotiable. Brady Heslip, Whoa. Brady Heslip, uh, one of the greatest shooters I think that's ever lived, uh, played a little bit in the NBA, uh, played a lot in the G League and over in Europe, and a career played at Baylor, 43% three-point shooter everywhere, has a significant thumb flick. And we can list guys that have a, a thumb flick. So can it work? Yes, it can work. It just has to have the middle of all of that force that you're applying to the ball. The middle of that force needs to be on the bottom. And if it is, the ball goes straight. You're just adding a little bit more over onto the left-hand side, which causes the ball, the shooting hand to probably have to slip out of position over onto the right-hand side. Which, and now you've got two variables, which will be a little bit harder to control, but it is possible. Therefore, it's negotiable. Can you really quickly, for the non-visual people on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, describe the thumb flick just for them? So a thumb flick is your, your non-shooting hand thumb pushing the ball. And because the non-shooting hand thumb is usually over on the left side of the ball for a right-handed shooter, if it's applying force on the left side of the ball, even if you think like you're pushing forward, if you're applying a force to the left side of the ball, you're going to be pushing the ball to the right. And your body will figure out very quickly, wait a second, that ball keeps going right, or I can feel it's going to go right. And so the shooting hand will drift over onto the right side of the ball ever so slightly and apply force slightly to the left to cancel that out. And it's sort of a chicken and the egg, which one causes which, we don't know. They each kind of cause each other. But uh, can that get to the ball to go straight? Yes. It just adds another variable. Uh, so I would discourage somebody from having a thumb flick, but it can work out. Therefore, it's negotiable. And, uh, and if you show me that, hey, I can thumb flick and I can control it, uh, then great. If you shoot 43% with a thumb flick in games, I'm going to let you thumb flick. And we, we actually... <laughs> Going back to shot metrics, we measured Brady Heslip. We had him shoot the 100 shots that were necessary for the study that we we're doing. And, and he he admitted, and I could see it clearly, we got the video of him pushing pretty significantly with his thumb. But because we're now able to quantify and we're able to measure, we had a, um, a, a measurement for how consistent he was. It wasn't just opinion. It was a fact. And he was twice as consistent with another variable than our second most consistent player at the time. 
So I would say most people can't control uh, a, uh, a two variables, a two-handed shot as well, but Brady could. And so if I've got evidence that says you're 43% free throw shooter and I've got shot metrics saying you're outrageously consistent with this slightly flawed technique, but you get results with it, all right, no need to change. You you found a way that works for you. So everyone else out there, get your guide hand off the ball. Brady has slipped thumb flick away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like if, again, like if you can prove that it works for you in games, then great, you found a solution. If you can't, you need to get better. And I can, well, we can, a shooting coach can help you get better. But a good example of what I would have thought was sort of general consensus. And you're like, you know what? Like it is negotiable, even though it's most of the time, it still is negotiable. Yep. Okay. My next question, quick preamble for this. Um, I'm sort of a ghost on social media, although I know you're telling me I need to kind of fire up for this kind of thing. So gang, I'm working on it. Um, but my buddies send me a bunch of clips, like Instagram clips and, and Twitter clips and everything, uh, because I am the closest thing they have to an NBA shooting coach, not because I am a shooting coach, but I know an NBA shooting coach. So a lot of these guys on Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever, are all saying like triple threat position, or, or they're calling it one position. Uh, they're making a big deal about getting the ball kind of connected to their body at triple threat. Is that important? That would be a really, really nice idea. Okay, so there's an aspect of what they're saying that there's truth to. Being there in a perfect triple threat position would be nice. And it is the template that we do want to build, but it's not ultimately the skill that we should be looking. You're never going to get, or very, very, very rarely are you going to get into a perfect triple threat position at the beginning of the shooting motion. You're going to be getting bad passes. You're going to be moving. You've got to have a defender's hand there. Your body ain't like you're never, that's rarely going to be perfect. And so the skill that we should be practicing is not hitting the perfect start of a shot, which will never occur in a game. The skill that we should be practicing is getting as close to that in hard environments as possible. And, and so it's a nice idea, but training as though there's a perfect starting point when you're never going to be able to be in that position is, is training for a situation that will never occur. And, uh, and so while it's a, it, it's not a raw, it's not a bad idea. It's not a great way to practice and therefore it's negotiable. Like you do have between your triple threat position and your set point, you have a ton of time to correct all kinds of problems that I guarantee will happen. And, and the skill we should be practicing is solving those problems to get as close to a great set point, not teaching that you have to get the ball down at your waist in a certain position. It would be nice, but it's not realistic. That's interesting. Okay. I appreciate that. And then I, I do have one more and it is, it is kind of a contentious one for me because I argue with one of my coaches about this and it's, it's follow through, you know, like I, I always, I get annoyed with my guys when they kind of start heating up a little bit and then they start to, you know, get it out quick. And yeah. I just like hold the falter, but like, is that a uh, non-negotiable? It's not a non-negotiable view, obviously. And talk, talk about that a little bit. Well, it, the ball's already gone. So the, I never talk about a follow-through because that is all occurring after the ball is out of the hand. So will I pay attention to somebody's follow-through? Yes, I will as a clue to what I'm looking for at the set point when the ball is their hand because a, a poor follow-through is just a counter to being out of position at the set point. I'm not trying to fix the follow-through. The ball's already gone. I'm trying to fix the out of position uh, or the uh, the moment they were out of position that caused the bad follow through. Like, don't fix the effect, fix the cause. And the bad follow through comes usually, in my opinion, from being out of position at the, the set point. That's the thing that I'm going to try to adjust. So a follow through um, doesn't have to be a certain way. 
um, because the ball's not in your hand anymore. You're, it's not affecting the ball anymore, but I will use it as an indicator of what might be happening before that. And usually it's your hand is not on the middle of the ball. So related to, but not a non-negotiable. Okay. Man, uh, that was awesome. Like really appreciate that. I always get a chance to learn anytime we get together and that's not, again, not blowing smoke. I, that's, that is stuff that I'll be using in my practices starting next week when the guys get back from breaks. So, um, thank you very much, Dave. Really appreciate the time. Hey, Maddie, it's always fun hanging out with you. Like, I'm so thrilled that we get to do this uh, because number one, I think the, the stuff that we're sharing, that we're planning to share in the future is going to be super helpful to a lot of people. But then selfishly, I get to hang out with my buddy more and we don't get to see each other in person more than once or twice a year. But we've seen each other now a lot in the last couple of weeks having started this and, and I'm thankful for that. Even if dozens of people were not watching and listening, I would still be having these conversations. So I, I appreciate that. Well, here, um, let's pull back the curtain a little bit. Let's uh, let's, let's say this. Um, we, three days ago, our first, as we we're recording this, three days ago, our first podcast came out. Or was it, yes, two days ago? Two days ago. Two days ago. And we're literally, we were joking in text yesterday, literally tens of dozens of people have listened. And by tens of dozens, we mean at that point, it was 127 people that had listened. I think we're up to like 180 something at this point in time. So, but yeah, it, who cares? <laughs> More hopefully will listen as, as we share valuable information. And if not, hopefully the, those 127 people get value out of it. And if, if not, you and I are having fun. So who cares? It's a, it's a classic Michael Scott win, win, win situation. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good time. Uh, awesome. So, so if you've made it this far, I really appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, please subscribe all the places that podcasts are found or to coach Dave love on YouTube. Uh, Dave real quick. Um, if people have feedback or people have experiences they want to share or they want to just engage in the community, where can they find you? Yeah, the best way for a lot of coaches on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, at Coach Dave Love, Instagram, the same thing, or join my newsletter, CoachDaveLove.com. Uh, send me a message. Let, let us know. You always kind of do this. I'll jump in on this part. Like, let us know which part of the show really resonated with you. If you see a, a, a tweet or whatever, an X, I gotta hate that name. It's so stupid. Elon Musk is just going to be livid at me for, <laughs> yeah. but Man, don't get fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, yeah, let us, let us know what resonates share. If you feel like this is helpful. And if you don't, then that's fine too. So at coach Dave love, you can't find me anywhere, but that might change in the near future. Uh, appreciate the time. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Coach Dave Love Podcast. To stay up to date with our future episodes, please remember to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to sign up for Coach Love's free shooting newsletter on CoachDaveLove.com and be sure to follow him on social media. You can find him at Coach Dave Love.